from the Women's International News Gathering Service with a look at South Africa's efforts toward permitting chiefs of the former apartheid-established homelands to have legislative, executive, and judicial powers all rolled into one. Stay tuned. Unite with me, black power, it will be. KBU Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Power to the People, Black Panther Party Legacy Tour of Albina on Tuesday, May 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. starting at the Northeast Coalition of Neighborhoods in Portland. Kent Ford, founder of Portland's chapter of the Black Panther Party, will lead the tour and share personal memories of revolutionary activism and community service. Again, that's Power to the People, Black Panther Party Legacy Tour of Albina on Tuesday, May 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. starting at Northeast Coalition of Neighborhoods, 4815 Northeast 7th Avenue in Portland. The tour ends at Matt Dishman Community Center. This event is part of the Vanport Mosaic Festival, taking place until June 5th. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Today on Wings, rural women in South Africa claim the right to equality in justice. In South Africa, Women make up the majority of the rural citizenry, but they are vulnerable to male-dominated traditional institutions. We have the constitution that was drafted in 2006. That constitution is very clear about women's rights. This traditional courts bill will only be accepted by the women in South Africa if it is in line with the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. There's a river of birds in migration, a nation of women with wings. Welcome to Wings, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world, produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. According to the Helen Sussman Foundation, it was a cynical move to curry favor with traditional leaders. Two months before the May 2019 elections, South Africa's parliament passed, for the third time, the traditional courts bill. Today on Wings, why and how women's organizing killed this zombie bill in the past, work they face all over again when it goes to provincial consultations. Here is Wings contributor Erna Curry with a complete report. Women have fought long and dearly in South Africa for national liberation and again for South African women to have constitutional rights. Sezani Ngobane was an activist in those struggles. She also founded the Rural Women's Movement in KwaZulu-Natal province in South Africa. We have the constitution that was drafted in 2006. That constitution is very clear about women's rights. And we fought for the constitution to be where it is right now as the Women's National Coalition. We drafted what we called a women's charter for effective equality. We conducted a research throughout the country listening 
to how women would like to see the new democratic South Africa. And through that Women's National Coalition, we were able to have women participating effectively in the negotiation table, which is how the Bill of Rights in the Constitution came about. This traditional courts bill will only be accepted by the women in South Africa if it is in line with the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. The traditional courts bill as it is right now it's taking away the rights we reclaimed through our struggle. The traditional courts bill was introduced into the South African National Assembly in 2008 with the idea of formalizing traditional courts in the rural areas. The Department of Justice and Constitutional Development of the ruling African National Congress had conferred with local traditional leaders before drafting the bill, so they were surprised to meet a rising tide of public opposition. One of the problems women had with the bill was that it in no way guaranteed the gender equality that women had worked so hard to enshrine in the South African constitution. If the bill is passed, the senior traditional leader who will probably be a man, because most of our senior traditional leaders are men. In Guazulu Natal, it's estimated that we have 300 chiefs, and out of 300, only six of them are women. And they are not like real chiefs. They are what we call regents. They are there until their children are old enough to take over from them. So that senior traditional leader will be like a a sole decision maker in a court. He will be a presiding officer and he will interpret our customary law. Unlike in the past where the traditional court was a participatory system where all the seniors like the headman, Isnduna and them all will all be part of the decision. Our courts were not only made for the chief to be the presiding officer. He was assisted by other people. But if the bill is passed, he will be the only person who could interpret our customary law. And part of the traditional leaders are saying we shouldn't represent ourselves as women. I heard in one of the public hearings where a traditional leader stood up and said, oh, it's okay for women not to represent themselves because we don't want to be seen as convicting other men's wife or other men's daughter. So as women, we are not seen as individual human beings. We are seen as property. Sezani Ngobane founded the Rural Women's Movement. Nolundi Luwaya is a researcher at the Law, Race and Gender Unit at the University of Cape Town.
because of the manner in which the apartheid laws highlighted the patriarchy that's present in customary law and really made that very dominant by doing things like making women minors who are subject to either their father or their husband and really highlighting the patriarchy that exists in customary law, um, that has carried through in some communities. And you do find that women are told that they may not speak for themselves at the traditional court. They need to uh, have a male representative to speak on their behalf. The traditional courts bill in its current form doesn't actually remedy that situation. So what it does is that it pays lip service to what is essentially formal equality, but doesn't make a substantive change that will result in substantive equality. So the bill says um, that a woman may represent her husband and a husband may represent his wife in accordance with customary law. The difficulty, of course, is that in a community where customary law is woman must be represented by her husband and cannot speak for herself, the bill completely allows that to continue. Not only women, but other marginalized groups such as children and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people can access formally mandated protections in state courts. These protections would not have been fully available to them in traditional courts. Another worry with traditional courts is how they might deal with domestic violence. So at the back of the traditional courts bill, there is a schedule that um, lists the matters that traditional courts may not hear. And so supposedly traditional courts may not actually deal with issues of gender-based violence. But the issue that we've discovered in our research and that women who we've encountered have, have spoken to is that Gender-based violence is actually dealt with in the traditional courts um, because it comes to the courts in a sort of indirect manner. So it may be couched as a family dispute, and then it comes out that, oh no, actually he's beating her. And so before you know it, the traditional court is actually dealing with an issue of gender-based violence. Women have spoken about um, how difficult it is sometimes in these courts because the actual sort of adjudicators, so the traditional leader and his, um, his elders, are all male. And so they may actually exercise a bias in favor of the man or they're in favor of the husband in this particular domestic dispute. And so really, the bill doesn't take as active steps as it possibly could to really ensure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. Um, the idea that a woman would have to discuss her gender-based violence case in front of a very unfairly balanced sort of power situation is really just not acceptable. So women really find themselves in quite a difficult situation. And the same is true with children. Young people come to the court. It's consisted mainly of elders, elder men. And sometimes the power dynamic is such that they can't get a, if you will, fair trial in the sense that they may not be able to present their case because of, you know, respect issues and how one addresses elders, etc., um, which makes it really difficult for them to navigate that space in order to access the best form of justice that they can. Sizani Ngubane explains how women are impacted by the rule of traditional male chiefs in terms of ownership of property and land. When the land is allocated, it is not allocated to the woman in her own right. It's allocated to her male relative and it's registered under his name, meaning that if he decides to evict her, he could evict her anytime because the land is in his name. Especially in terms of inheritance rights, our traditional system is not able to address those challenges. Cezani founded the Rural Women's Movement. 
RWM is working with women who has been forcibly evicted from their marital homes after their spouses have passed only because they maybe they did not have male children or because they cannot inherit from their male relatives. On Wings, you are listening to coverage of the struggle against a new tribal courts bill that was first proposed in 2008 and at least for now is defeated. Women across South Africa fought against the bill for reasons of women's rights and human rights. Here again is Wings contributing producer Erna Curry. Another problem with the traditional courts bill was that it would actually break the best part of traditional justice. This traditional leader from the Limpopo province in South Africa mediates conflicts in the community through the traditional court in deliberation with members of the village council. We were also trying to talk to the people who were quarreling in their homes and try to make a peace uh, between some of those people. Sizani Ngubani explains how. The purpose of the courts was to resolve disputes, mainly land disputes or family disputes. And they were not just one type of court. They were from a family court. In a family court, when there's a dispute, one would call a meeting for the elders and they will discuss the matter. And if the family cannot resolve the matter, they go to Induna. Induna is a headman. And then if the headman cannot resolve the matter, he approaches the chief. And if the chief cannot resolve the matter, it goes into the formal magistrate court. Another issue around the traditional courts bill was that it would not deal with the fact that people of different traditions had been forced into community together under the apartheid system. The traditional courts bill still accepted the old apartheid boundaries and did not deal with the fact that not everyone within those boundaries recognized the de facto community traditional leader, Sezani Ngubane, from the rural women's movement. More than half of those chiefs are not legitimate chiefs. They were imposed by the apartheid regime because they were loyal to it. That problem has not been resolved. Another problem with the bill is that it reimposes the old apartheid tribal boundaries, which caused a lot of disputes in the past because it shifted people and put them in a situation where they were under a chief whom they do not even recognize as their chief. Some of our chiefs who are legitimate do not have land to administer. It's administered by illegitimate chiefs who were imposed by the apartheid regime. And the bill fails to address that. Another problem with the traditional courts bill was that it removed any alternatives for rural people to the traditional courts. That is, they would not be able to access the magistrate's court in their municipal district if they were unhappy with the process in the traditional system. Nolundi Luwaya is a researcher at the Law, Race and Gender Unit at the University of Cape Town. Now you've got to remember that those tribes were formed using the boundaries from the 1951 Act, the Bantu Authorities Act. 
And those boundaries came across through forced removal and through the forcing people into these homelands, making them into these fictional, really, tribes. So this idea of tribes that live neatly side by side under the apartheid system is carried into the democracy through Section 28 of the Traditional Leadership and Governance Framework Act. So when a clause in the Traditional Courts Bill says that you must go to the Traditional Court if you're called, what it's doing is that it's locking people into those boundaries. It's saying you absolutely have to use the mechanisms within these boundaries, even if you don't recognize the traditional leader in that area, or even if you contest the boundaries, even if you don't ascribe to those boundaries yourself. It decides for you your identity by making it absolutely impossible for you to choose to opt into the system. And that's what our, our, our sort of stance is, is that people should be given the opportunity to opt in. It needs to be a choice. Um, the Constitution speaks about the right to a cultural life of your choice. And so here, what you're seeing really is that the idea of choice is almost taken away. People are left with no real ability to say, you know what, this type of dispute I would like to take to this type of traditional forum, but this type of dispute I would like to take to the magistrate's court. Some opponents charged that the traditional courts bill would create a permanent racialized, sexist divide between rural and urban citizens and would restrict their democratic access to justice within the legal system of the country. In some areas, rural people are refused court services if they have not paid levies to traditional leaders with heavy punishments being imposed for non-payment. This is despite the fact that the Constitution of South Africa states that traditional authorities do not have living powers. Nolundi Luwaya. Around the issue of tribal levies, these are amounts of uh, money sometimes or livestock that are required by traditional leaders, supposedly for a certain purpose. So, for example, each household might be required to provide 10 rand, 20 rand, 50 rand to contribute towards um, the chief's car. Or in other communities, yeah, families have been asked to contribute 10, 20, 30 rand towards um, the chief's wife's traditional skirt. So these levies are particularly difficult because, of course, not only are the areas that are affected by customary law um, poverty-stricken, they are communities where a large number of people rely on a social welfare grant, a child grant, a disability grant, an old-age pension. And so to expect them to give that kind of money for things that don't directly benefit them and don't directly benefit the community is, you know, unfair. And of course, then what happens there is that there's this double standard. If you live in the city centre in Cape Town, no one is requiring you to give 50, 30, etc. Um, rand of your money to pay for, you know, your traditional leader's car. I mean, of course, we pay tax, but that's a completely different thing in the sense that that goes into tangible benefits for the community, some would argue. But the issue is that rural citizens are almost taxed twice. So they need to pay whatever standard governmental tax they pay, either through value-added tax or other ways, but then they also need to pay this levy, this fee, to their traditional leader. And so what you end up finding really is that their citizenship rights don't end up being the same as the citizenship rights of somebody who lives in central Cape Town. So a rural woman becomes a second-class citizen um, in comparison to her, you know, her sister who lives in Joburg. 
Some opponents also worried that unifying judicial power in the hands of a traditional leader left no way to work around any local corruption and favoritism. Aninka Clausens is a senior researcher at the Rural Women's Action Research Project at the University of Cape Town. Now the problem is that in rural areas people don't have official addresses. So when they go and apply for an identity document, they have to go to the tribal office to get a letter stamped vouching that they are a resident of that area. When they apply for pensions, child support grants, even to open a bank account, even to get a car license, they have to get the stamp. And you can't get that stamp unless you're up to date with all your tribal levies. The traditional courts bill would allow the situation to worsen, Klaassen says, by permitting forced labour and deprivation of customary benefits to be imposed as punishments in traditional courts. The rural women's movement is working with women who could not bury their loved ones. Sizani Ngubane. A young woman who lost her father. And in that region of Zululand, you have to have between 300 and 500 rand to give to the chief as a cleansing ritual. And she went and gave 300 rand to the chief. And then he looked on his books and noticed that her father has not been paying Ukanda Bondwe. Ukanda Bondwe was a male tax long time ago under the apartheid regime. And this chief is still practicing that. And because they didn't have the money to pay for these taxes, he refused her the permission to bury her father on the land. It took them three months to raise the money to pay the chief in order for them to bury their father. That was after their neighbor had Ilobolo, which is a bright prize for their daughter. And they borrowed money from that Ilobolo in order for them to bury their father. Now think of the money they had to pay because his body was still kept three months at the funeral panel. In a formal court, this young woman did not have to pay for her father's taxes. In a formal court, I am only expected to pay my tax and my expenses, not the expenses of my other relative. So we can't see why the government would be so interested in formulating laws that will give the chiefs more power. Yes, you can walk to the traditional court. You don't have to travel long distances. It's not so expensive. But women are not treated as... They are not treated as individuals. Their independent rights are attached to their male relatives. There's a clause in the bill that you must go, even if it's just first, to the traditional court. Nolundi Luwaya. Your right is limited in comparison with someone who lives in an urban area, who has free choice to decide to go to any legal dispute resolution forum of their choice. Sizani Ngubane. The 
South African Law Reform Commission, one of its recommendations was that people should be allowed to choose whether they want to use the traditional court or not. Mm -hmm. And when the traditional court was drafted, it said it would be an offense for one not to appear in a traditional court. People don't have the option. They have to go to a traditional court if the bill is passed. The traditional courts bill would have applied only in areas where state-recognized traditional councils exercised authority. The bill had been constructed in consultation with traditional leaders, but not with other sectors, especially women. Sindiso Mnisi Weeks was a senior researcher and lecturer at the University of Cape Town during the time when the new bill was introduced and debated. The traditional courts bill was drafted only in consultation with traditional leaders, whether um, the National House of Traditional Leaders or traditional leaders at national and provincial level. This is what the memorandum to the bill says. Um, These are the people who who were consulted, as well as the South African Local Government Association. But no ordinary people were consulted. The consequences of the senior traditional leader being the only person forming the court operates to the exclusion of the rest of the community. And in terms of the constitutional court, uh, the court has recognized that living customary law is formed by the community. And so in this way, the community would be denied their ability to participate in the formation of living customary law in effective terms. Opposition to the bill was coordinated through the newly formed network, the Alliance for Rural Democracy made up of various civil society organizations like the Rural Women's Movement. They share a common concern about the negative effects that the new law could have on the rural constituencies they serve and support. During 2008 and 2012, public participation processes were held. In hearings and submissions across the country, People gave input on the devastating effects that the bill would have on their lives and the ways that it would have distorted essentially democratic practices of custom and traditional governance in different communities. Patrick Mashejo, a community leader from the Limpopo province of South Africa, said, This bill and laws such as the Limpopo Traditional and Institutions Act destroy the dream we fought for over many years. Instead of making rural people equal citizens in a unitary South Africa, they make us subjects of chiefs who are given the cohesive power to get rid of those who hold them to account. You may say not all chiefs are bad. That is true. But only bad chiefs need laws like this. No written submission to Parliament other than those by traditional leaders gave full support to the bill in the 2008 and 2012 consultation rounds. The controversy caught the attention of international media and it eventually resulted in the bill being sent back to the provinces for consideration and a vote. After six years, the traditional courts bill was voted down. It could not gather a five-province majority and was rejected by the Parliament of South Africa a first for government-sponsored bill in the democracy. When the provincial governments conducted public hearings, it was quite clear 
that the rural people are not in favor of the traditional courts bill. Out of nine provinces, three of the provinces said it must be scrapped. Another three said it must be amended. And the other one said they must be given three months to look at it. So out of all the provinces in South Africa, only one province, which is the Northern Cape, said they like the traditional courts bill. Twice killed through efforts of the women's movement, South Africa's traditional courts bill was passed again by Parliament in March of 2019. Despite lip service to non-discrimination and constitutional rights, it forces people in the former apartheid homelands to use a segregated justice system where one person embodies legislative, executive, and judicial power. The provincial consultations process could still stop it. The rural women's movement led by Sizani Ungubani and the Land Accountability Research Center led by Nolundi Luwayo will again be advising toward that end. In a society where the degree of gender violence is high, the struggle to protect women's democratic and constitutional rights still continues. Let us sing, ladies and gentlemen, as is the custom in our beloved country and continent, we need to embrace music, which gives us power. So let us sing the chorus that you will know. Igamala makosikazi malibongwe. Igamala makosikazi malibongwe. Wing's coverage of the saga of South Africa's tribal courts bill was produced by Erna Curry in Cape Town. Marsha Branch interviewed Suzani Ungobani during UN Commission on the Status of Women meetings in New York. Find South Africa's Rural Women's Movement by searching at Rural Women's Movement. Hear Wing's programs again on our new website, wingsradio.org, or email wings at wings.org. Wings thanks our supporters, including your local community radio station, Suzette Cullen, and Genevieve Vaughn, editor of the new book, The Maternal Roots of the Gift Economy. I'm Wings series producer, Frida Worden. This is the Women's International News Gathering Service. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some Yes, come ride your bike and dance the night away on Friday, June 7th at 8 p.m. as we celebrate Prince's birthday with a mobile bicycle dance party. Roll around Portland with Diablo as we rock pedal palooza, dropping the Prince jams all night long, stopping to dance along the way. Again, that's Prince's birthday celebration on Friday, June 7th at 8 p.m., beginning at his mural on 42nd and Prescott. More information can be found on the KB website under Community Events.
the more compassion we have towards animals, the more compassion we're going to have towards other people. If you can value them all, you, you really value yourself as well. So even if you don't care about animals, the, the things we do that hurt animals end up hurting ourselves. It's almost kind of a dominion type issue where we feel we need to control everything. Dominion means stewardship, to take care of. What would a cow think about satisfying our habit? The challenge lies with looking at suffering from the perspective of the person or individual suffering. Welcome to Voices for the Animals on KBOO Portland with your host, Courtney Scott. The Animal Liberation Conference is coming up this month in Berkeley, California. And Almira Tanner, a core organizer with the Grassroots